Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. But this is Christmas time. This is Christmas season. And there's a lot that comes with this season. Many of you guys are preparing and getting your gifts and preparing for Christmas Day and what that's going to look like. You're making your travel plans and all of these things. And just by a show of hands, how many of you are, are done with all of your Christmas shopping? Okay, you can put them down. How many of y'all are mad at those people? <laughs> like, I just can't stand you. Congratulations. All right. But it's Christmas time and we're all preparing to celebrate with our families and the giving of gifts, which is important and the significant and all of those things is a picture of the wise men giving their gifts to Jesus. But more importantly, it's a picture of God giving us the greatest gift that we'll ever have and giving us his only son. And so all of these things are special, but I want to bring it back into focus for a moment on just some of the things that we are really celebrating at this time. We're celebrating the moment that God literally split history in half. God sent his son into the world that he created and changed all of human history. That's what we're celebrating. When you think about it, this always blows me away. The, the cal- our calendar is divided into two parts, B.C. and A.D., all based on Jesus' coming. How many of you know what B.C. stands for? Before Christ. How many of you know what A.D. stands for? Anna Domini. Anna Domini. And that's Latin. That's the Latin. Some of y'all thought, I thought it was after death. No, Anna Domini. And this is what that means in Latin, in the year of the Lord. In the year of the Lord. So literally, all around the world. And isn't it amazing how people who don't even believe in Jesus celebrate his birthday? People who, who would curse God are still celebrating with friends and family because of his day, his birthday. There's B.C. before Christ and then Anna Domini. And that Anna Domini in the year of the Lord, we're blessed because we are still living in the year of the Lord. We're still in A.D., We're still in the reign of Christ in the earth. This is what we are celebrating. And we're also celebrating the fulfillment of God's promises. That's what we're celebrating these times. How many of you love when somebody reminds you of something they promised you? Like, imagine if somebody, hey, remember, here's that $100 that I promised you I was going to pay you back. Praise God. And I love those kind of surprise promises when people fulfill those things. Well, God made promises to us, to the world, from Genesis to the book of Malachi. And it's filled, that's the Old Testament, it's filled with all of these promises that God said would one day be fulfilled. And those promises were fulfilled in Anadomini, in the year of our Lord. When Jesus came, the process of beginning all, fulfilling all of these promises that God had given came to pass. All of these things happened from the promise of the coming kingdom 
to the promise that one day not only a certain people would have the spirit of God on them, but that all flesh could have the spirit of God. To the promise that one day the suffering king would come, the suffering servant would come, and other prophecies, other promises that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ would come. All of these things were fulfilled in about a 30 to 33 year period. When Jesus came and he showed up and split time in half and fulfilled all of these promises. And I know the world we live in is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Things are progressively getting worse and worse and worse. Let's be honest. But I want you to realize just how blessed you are. Things are getting worse and worse and worse. But we live in Anna Domini. We live in the year of the Lord. We live in the time frame, the era where thousands of years of people waited to see what you get to see every week. They waited to hear the stories. They, they longed for the things that we look at as traditions. They wanted those things. They longed to see those things. Prophets, even like the prophet Elijah, who we just did a series on, as great a, a, a man as he was, he was not, he was longing to see the day that you are in. We are blessed to live in the day of the Lord. This is the time that we live in, the day of salvation, the day when man can be made right with God, the day when God's spirit can literally live inside of us. We're blessed to have that. Now, God's people, they were waiting for the fulfillment of these promises over time. And as a matter of fact, they were being tossed around about. When I talk about God's people, I'm talking about the Israelites, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. They were waiting on the fulfillment of these promises. And it didn't look like it was going to happen because they were being tossed around from the Babylonian army to the Medes and the Persians, to the Greeks, to the Seleucids. And by the time Jesus came to the Romans, they were just given to all of these nations while they were still waiting on these promises that God said he was going to give them. And it didn't look like it was going to happen. But they held on to it and they waited anyway. They waited anyway. Now, the Old Testament ends in the book called Malachi. And I know it's spelled like Malachi. It's not Malachi, it's Malachi. It ends in the book of Malachi. That's where all from Genesis to Malachi is the Old Testament. And I want you to know something. After the book of Malachi was closed, after Malachi stopped speaking, God did not speak to his people for 400 years. He did not say another thing to his people for 400 years. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I hate the silent treatment. Husbands, how many of y'all hate the silent treatment? There are two, three bold men enough to say, the rest of y'all, do y'all like it? I mean, I don't, if you do, you need counseling. Let's try this again. Wives, how many of you hate the silent treatment? Okay, I knew there'd be much more honesty in that room. Imagine the silent treatment that you feel from the one that you love times a hundred trillion for 400 years. Now, when God was silent, he wasn't silent to manipulate or to control as some of us try to do. He had a plan and a reason for his silence, for why he wasn't saying anything. 
And after that 400 years, we're going to pick this up in a moment, but a man named Luke pens and writes a book that picks up the very last thing that was said 400 plus years prior. He picks it right back up and doesn't skip a beat. That's what we're looking at this morning. In the next couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about the promises of God that God fulfilled in the time that we celebrate. And if I could give a theme to this whole series, this whole Christmas at OSC series, I'm going to tell you what the theme would be. Promise made, promise kept. Promise made, promise kept. Now, again, they had not heard from God for 400 years. No prophets, no new revelation. Silence for 400 years. Now, if you aren't, let me just tell you this on a personal level. If you aren't hearing from God, maybe you should go back to the last thing that he told you. If you feel like I just haven't heard the voice of God, Pastor, in a long time, number one, very practically, if you haven't feel like you haven't heard from God, why don't you open up your Bible because he's still speaking through that. He's still speaking through that. But we also believe that the Holy Spirit will speak to you. We believe God's word will speak to us and God will use the voice of the Holy Spirit to speak internally, the still small voice of God that many of us have heard so many times. But maybe you're in a season where you feel like, I just, I haven't heard that voice in a long time, Pastor. Can I encourage you to go back to the last thing he said? Because maybe the thing that he is still saying is the last thing that he said. Because here's the thing about God. Here's the thing about God. And I heard Dr. Darius Daniels say this. He said, when God is doing something, he's doing something. But when God's doing nothing, he's still doing something. When God is speaking, he's speaking. When God is being silent, he's still saying something. So I encourage you, go back. What was the last thing that he told you? Let me tell you the last thing that God said before 400 years of silence in the book of Malachi. This is what he said. Now, Malachi was a prophet, and he's speaking to God's people. And this is after the captivity of Babylon. This is after all of these different things. If you don't know, it's okay. But I'll just put it like this. God had been warning his people over and over and judging his people over and over, and they still just weren't getting the picture. They weren't getting the program. And then God sends the prophet Malachi, and this, these are some of the things that he says. He says to them, you're continuing after everything that you've been through, you're still being hard-headed. As we, as we say here in Acadiana, you're still being Teidu. You're still being hard-headed. And you're, bringing, you're not bringing your best worship to God. You're giving God your leftovers. You're bringing God these diseased animals as sacrifices instead of giving God your very best. And God is saying, I won't accept this. I'm a holy God. I will not accept your leftovers. And they're bringing these things and God, through Malachi, speaks to them. And then Malachi even goes a step further and he says, you're marrying people that you were never supposed to marry. And on top of that, you're unfaithful to the wives that God has given you. And they're arguing back with God. And he's confronting their lackadaisical worship of God there. Just whatever, God. God will accept whatever I want to give him. 
And Malachi is confronting these things and he's calling out their unfaithfulness. And this is how the book ends. This is the last thing that God says. Malachi chapter four, verse four says this. Remember to obey the law of Moses, my servant. All the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Verse five. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. Period. That's it. Nothing else for 400 years. Talk about a a punctuation. Talk about a way to end a, a very long conversation. That's what he says. Let me, let me help you get this. Imagine this. Imagine you come to church and you've been coming and every single Sunday and you're in your, you've been here for years and years and years and years. And then one, one Sunday, we get up to speak to you. We preach to you, worship the whole deal. And we say, hey, by the way, y'all haven't been obeying God. And I just want you to know, you need to obey God. And one day somebody's going to help you obey God. You can leave. And then the doors are locked for 400 years. That's pretty much what happened. Nothing. But there was a promise. The promise was that one day somebody's going to come to help you do this. Somebody's going to come to turn your stubborn hearts back to God. And that's the last thing that they heard. Can I just tell you? God can be trusted. God is faithful to his promises. When God makes a promise, he makes good on his promises. And again, like I said, even when God's doing, when it seems like God's not doing anything, he's still doing something. Sometimes when God is silenced, that's the very thing we need to pay attention to the last thing he told us. Sometimes when God's not speaking, he is speaking and he's telling you, go back to what I said. And obey the things I've said. It's putting emphasis on the very last thing that I told you. So you're not clouding it with any, everything else that I'm saying. Go back to this. And that's what happened in Malachi. Until 400 plus years later, a man named Luke writes this down. And this is what he says. Luke chapter 1 verse 5. When Herod was king of Judea. Many of you know Herod, he's the one who tried, he was killing babies and the whole thing because he was scared the Messiah was coming. There was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. Everybody say Zechariah. And he was a member of the priestly order of Abijah and his wife, Elizabeth. Everybody say Elizabeth. Those are very important. Was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's sight, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. They were both very old. How many love the brutal honesty of the Bible? They were old. Let's just call it what it was. They were old. And not only were they old, but the Bible tells us that Elizabeth was unable to conceive. These were not the likely candidates for God's fulfillment of a promise, the way we look at it. But in God's eyes, they were the perfect candidates for a way for him to fulfill his promise. So this man, Zechariah, 
This is what it says, verse 8. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple, for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. Let me tell you what's going on here. If you came from the line, if you were a Jewish person who came from the, the line, the, the branch of Aaron, then you were automatically considered a priest. And as a priest, you had to serve in the temple. Here's the problem. There were so many people from the line of Aaron that they no, you weren't there very long. And so you would only serve in the temple two times a year. No matter where you were, you would come back and you would serve your duty in the temple two times a year. And when you would go into the temple, there were two sacrifices made every day in the Old Testament temple. They would sacrifice a male lamb in the morning and they would sacrifice a male lamb in the evening. This is all a picture of Jesus coming one day and they didn't even recognize it. But they would make the sacrifice. And so this priest, these priests would go in, they were chosen. They were like, we, let me explain what casting lots is. It's basically rolling dice. How many of y'all used to shoot craps? Don't raise your hand in church. It's basically what that is. So they would cast lots and they were chosen. And this man just happened to randomly, the way we would see it, randomly have the job of going into the temple this day. This older man who had no children was chosen to go in. And what the priest would do is they would also take incense during the sacrifice and they would put the incense on the altar. And when they would leave, the Bible tells us there was a great group of people outside of the temple. Let me tell you why it's telling you that. Because when that priest would leave, the people that were there gathered, they would get, the priest would, would tell them the blessing of Abraham, of the blessing of Aaron, excuse me. He would give them the blessing of Aaron. And some of you know this because you've heard it often. This was the blessing of Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. How many of you have heard that a million times? That's what the priests would give to the people. So that's why they were gathered outside. Let's listen to the rest of the story. Verse 11. So Zechariah was in the sanctuary. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Pause from not hearing anything from God for 400 years to walking in and there's an angel standing in the temple. You know something's about to happen. Verse 12, Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah, as if that's possible. If you walk in and there's a 10-foot angel there with a flaming sword, you can tell me don't be scared all day long. Good luck. But he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. Uh-oh, Cajuns. <laughs> he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of who? Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Don't miss this. 
He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Does that sound familiar? It should, because that was the promise of God in Malachi. 400 years prior, God said, I'm going to send Elijah. And here we see the fulfillment, an angel in an altar in a random time with a random man who does not have kids. God is now fulfilling that promise. And he's telling him, your son is going to be the one who fulfills the promise made 400 years prior. What a moment. And to take it a step further, let me just tell you how faithful God is to his promises. Do you know what the name Zechariah means? It means God remembers. Do you know what the name Elizabeth means? It means the God of the oath. So when you take Zechariah and you take Elizabeth and you put them together, God remembers his promise. God remembers his oath. Pastor, why are you telling us all of this history and giving us all of this stuff? Because I want to make a very simple point to you. God has not forgotten his promises to you. God cannot forget his promises to you. And God will always make good on the promises that he's made. The Bible says it this way. Even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. He's faithful to the things that he said. He cannot lie. The book of Jeremiah says it like this. Jeremiah chapter 1. You don't have to go there, but I can put it on the screen. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12, if you want to look it up later, says this. God watches over his word to perform it. Meaning when God says something, he doesn't walk away. God's not up there going, wait, what did y'all, what did I say again? Please remind me of my promises. I forgot. No, no, no. God literally, when he makes a promise to you, he watches over the promise every step of the way to fulfill the promise that he made because he's a man of his word. Great is his faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. I want you to see that. When God says something, he's going to fulfill it. Whether that's a big, the big promises in Scripture or the promises he's made to you personally in the, through the power of the Holy Spirit. He makes good on his word. I remember Pastor Tim Delina preaching a message years ago, and I'll never, I'll never forget. He said, you pray one thing, God does 10,000 things. You make one request to God, and God goes throughout all of human history, interwoving things, putting the right people at the right place in all of the right circumstances to fulfill the one prom, the one thing that you asked for that he promised to do for you. How does he do that? He's God. That's how he does that. He's God. And some of you have not lived long enough in the kingdom to see this. And some of you have, and we just choose, we forget sometimes. The promises of Romans 8, chapter 20, chapter 8, verse 28, when it says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Simply put, whatever you're struggling with, if you're faithful to him and you're serving him, 
He will take everything that's happened to you or happening to you and somehow turn it around for your good and for his glory. No matter what you're facing this Christmas season, he'll turn it around for your good. If he doesn't, then he's not faithful to his promises. And like I've already said, he will always be faithful to his promises. The darkest moments in your life, I've seen him do this. In so many people's lives, I've sat in my office and counseled people who felt like this is it. This is the end. Only for God to take the very thing they thought was the end to turn it around for a brand new beginning for them. A brand new beginning. Why? Because when we're unfaithful, he remains faithful. He cannot lie. He will keep his promises. God has a great memory. He doesn't forget the oaths. He doesn't forget the promises. He will not overlook your faithfulness to him. Praying for that kid. I can't believe my child. This blah, 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 blah. God remembers your faithfulness. He remembers your faithfulness to him. Praying for your spouse. I just don't know if they're ever going to get it. God hears your prayers. Stay faithful. He will work it out for your good. It may not work out the way you think it's going to work out, but he will always work it out for your good because it's who he is. The promises God made to Malachi 400 years randomly happened from our perspective, but he was working all things out. And the reason I believe this, even the reason Zechariah and Elizabeth had not had all of the pain and the heartache of, listen, in that day they were ridiculed because they didn't. They were looked down upon in that day because they didn't. And God took that pain to turn that around to the greatest joy and make it a part of the greatest story ever told. Because he's faithful. Pastor, I don't know, I just... I don't feel forgiven, pastor, for my sins. Can I tell you something? His word promised that if you confess your faults to him, he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all sin and unrighteousness. Your your feelings do not determine his promises. If you repent it, he forgave you. Pastor, I I don't see how this will ever work out for me. I just told you how it will work out. That if you love him, And a called according to his purpose, he works all things out for your good and for his glory. Well, Pastor, I don't don't know. I just feel like the world's falling apart. It is. It very much is. But I can promise you this. He promised that one day he's sending a new heavens and a new earth, and you're a part of that. That's what he promised. Our hope is not in politicians. I hope you realize that. Our hope is not in the government. Hopefully you got that ticket by now. Our hope is in Christ and his eternal kingdom. Well, pastor, I just don't think I can be free from this sin. Let me tell you what his word promises. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. His word promises this, that as a believer, you are a slave to righteousness. You are no longer a slave to sin. Those are the promises. And I just want to remind you, greatest is faithfulness. I look back and sometimes Lauren and I talk. 
about just how faithful God's been to us. The hard times we've gone through, the tough things our family has dealt with, the tough things I personally have dealt with, the things that you look at and go, I don't know how we're ever going to make this, or God, if this happens, this is the end of all of those things have led me to one statement that I just made to you and I'm going to make again. Great is his faithfulness. Many of the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Great is his faithfulness. So Zachariah, and I'm closing, Zachariah and Elizabeth went on to have this child, and his name was John, and many of you know him as John the Baptist. And he was supposed to pave the way for the Lord, and that he did. And there's a lot that happens right after the scripture that I just read to you in Luke. And we're going to come back to that next week. We're going to come back to that and and continue even more seeing God's faithfulness and God's promises. But I want to skip down because I want you to see when Zechariah could actually say something. And some of you don't get that, but you'll get it next week. When he could actually say something, when he can finally get his words out and his son was born. He prophesied something. And this is what he said. Verse 67, Luke chapter 1. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. Verse 72, don't miss this. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred oath, his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to to our ancestor Abraham. For we we have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the paths of peace. Verse 80, John grew up and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel. Malachi chapter 4, promise made. Luke chapter 1, 400 years later, promise kept. Promise made, promise kept. 